Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad as always. Thank you for joining me. A little earlier this week, we're recording a, a day in advance. Um, got a bit of an event on at work tomorrow um, evening. So thought I'd record it early for you guys, get it up because um, there's quite a bit to talk about. And hopefully, just hopefully, this time that we don't have any driver announcements straight after we record because that would be terrible. Like last week, you so... After I uploaded last week's episode, um, Haas took to announcing that they were retaining the same driver lineup for 2020. Not that that's, you know, much news, I guess, you know, a bit of a surprise with Roman Grosjean getting to um, keep his seat there, but perhaps not really a surprise given the way that they've um, gone about it. I think all the hype was more so from fans and the media about, you know, Grosjean losing his seat and everything, and, you know, not that his performances have been flash this year, but I think Haas, you know, going with a boring choice of keeping the same driver lineup for next year, I guess, for them and their development's quite important, so, yeah, that's, um, that's Haas, and I guess, you know, one person who would be a bit gutted over that is Nico Hulkenberg, who is becoming very likely that he might not even be he might not even be on the grid next year in Formula One so you know not the first time that that's happened um, to the Hulk of course if you go back to 2011 where after a year at Williams his debut year at Williams he had to spend a year on the sidelines as a as a force India reserve driver so you know a lot of talent being wasted there but you know Esteban Ocon this year ended up on the sidelines so not not great, but anyway, let's um, get the show on the road for this week. So a lot of lot to talk about, of course, with the Singapore Grand Prix over the weekend, and of course <coughs> um, the Russian Grand Prix coming up as well this weekend. Back to back races, a um, lot of excitement, and um, bit on the footy finals as well at the end as we get into the crux of it with the AFL Grand Final on this weekend. Long weekend here, you know, Labor government, got to love their work. Haha, <laughs> being, I don't know if I'm being sarcastic or not, but, you know, you can um, you can take it whichever way you want. You know, I'm just happy we get an extra day off, you know, public holiday. It's, you know, for the most silly, re- silliest reason possible. Um, you don't see it in New South Wales or anywhere else um, for their best, you know, for their most famous sporting code or whatever and you know we get a day off for horse racing too so you know just saying not complaining about having a day off just saying the reason for it you might as well have a day off for valentine's day or something like that (laughs) next time all right before we get off track let's get straight back onto the track and singapore 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 so Ferrari ended up making it three in a row, three wins in a row, something that they haven't done since 2008, I believe, um, when they won four in a row, actually. So this time going into Russia, they'll be trying to target doing four in a row. And, you know, that's pretty pretty lean, you know, considering it was 2008, the last time they could string three victories in a row as well. You know, you would have thought 2010, they might have done it I had to I thought it might have been 2010 but I had to go further back than that um 2009 obviously wasn't a great year for them and then 2008 
was the last time that they had three wins in a row and then four when you include um, the Turkish Grand Prix win too. So, three wins in a row for them, but it wasn't the pole sitter Charles Leclerc who got his hat-trick of wins, of course. He won in Spa, Monza. It was Sebastian Vettel breaking his 392-day drought for victory. So, more than a year is gone, but um, he's finally broken through. And not without controversy either, of course, Ferrari. There's always some kind of controversy involved um, with the strategy this time, disadvantaging the pole sitter. So, um, what had happened is the race started bit slow, of course, with the pace of the race due to um, tyre preservation. You could see them all backed up and the lap times were just so slow and were like, please, something happened, you know. And then um, lap 20 is when Sebastian pulls the strategy trigger, comes in early. Um, and what had happened after the race is that um, Ferrari came out and said it was in response to the movement that they saw down in the Red Bull garage um, they thought Red Bull were coming out for a stop, potentially, for Max Verstappen, who they would have been racing at the time um, to try and keep him at bay. But um, in the end, you know, they didn't come in and pit at that point, though Sebastian was able to come in, get the tyres on early and out. Then the following lap, they pulled in Leclerc. But unfortunately, Leclerc ended up getting undercut by Vettel. So Vettel took the lead at that stage of the race and didn't really look back from there. But um, Leclerc didn't <laughs> did certainly spend the rest of the race reminding his team about it. You know, um, he was of course furious as you could imagine, a bit passive aggressive, you could say, with his with his um, team radio. But you know, he obviously you can tell, you can understand why he would be pretty peeved at that um given that he was in a he was in a commanding position of the race and you know with the way that the strategy works with these big teams is that the lead driver gets the first call or whatever but um you know I think it was also something to do with where they were on the track too um Leclerc was obviously past pit entry whereas um Vettel was pretty much um there or thereabouts or just before pit entry so he was able to come in um, sooner, so they had to respond with one car, and you know, at the end of the day, it was still a one-two finish for Ferrari, um, something that they haven't done all year either, so, you know, for the team-wise, you know, they got the result that they wanted, it doesn't matter which car finishes ahead, but it's the driver, of course, who's going to be a bit annoyed um, with the position, and Vettel as well, after the race, I guess, for a guy who's spent more than a year without a race win in F1, he didn't seem too, um, you know, overly joyous about it. You know, usually you see him or hear him screaming on the radio or being quite vocal, but I guess maybe in the back of his mind, you know, he kind of knew that this one was this one was kind of handed to him um, by the strategists, um, and he just... He probably didn't have the pace himself to, to stay ahead of or to qualify ahead of Leclerc all weekend. So, But then again, a win is a win. You know, um, winning is winning. Repeating Vin Diesel's um, or Dominic Toretto's words from the original Fast and Furious. Not a film I'm completely fond of, but, you know, the, the old ones, you know, they're pretty good. Check them out if you haven't already. Um, VTech just kicked in, yo. You know, that's, you know, one of the 
don't know, it's one of my favourite memes, I guess, <laughs> on the internet. Um, but yeah, you know, winning is winning, basically. And, you know, Ferrari got their result. Vettel got his result. And I guess it's good for his confidence, too. You know, he, after the race... He came out and said that, you know, he wants to thank all the fans and everybody who's stuck by him through these difficult times, you know, talking about how he's been receiving a lot of positive messages, which is great to see um, and hear. And I'm not going to lie either that I'm not going to lie or hide behind the fact that, you know, I've been pretty critical of Vettel this year um, for the last year, actually, since, you know, his title uh, hopes for 2018 went up. Um, in the second half of the season, you know, I'm not going to now jump on the Vettel bandwagon and say he's back. You know, he's got to do more, obviously, to prove that he um, is going to be in a title contender next year or whatever, or he can keep Leclerc at bay. So, you know, I'm happy for him that he's won the race, but at the same time, I'm not one of those people who are going to come out the woodworm now and say, oh, you know, I've been supporting him the whole way. I haven't actually, I've just, you know, I've been very critical and I admit that, so there's no hiding behind that, but good for Ferrari, good for Vettel, not so good for Leclerc, there's going to be obviously, there would have been a review, a debrief or whatever after what happened there, not like though, not like though the um, debrief that would have happened at Mercedes, uh, basically there was a poor race for them, they came into the weekend as favourites, you would have said, and I guess surprised by the fact how quick Ferrari was, you know, we thought that, you know, I said all along that this would be a litmus test for Ferrari to see if their upgrades after the mid-season break are actually going to work on circuits that aren't, you know, um, low downforce, high speed, and here where the downforce is a bit higher because you've got more stop-start corners, they've actually been pretty strong, pole position, race win, Mercedes flustered by the strategy from Ferrari as well you know they brought Bottas in on lap 23 but then he was hung out dry hung out to dry once again for Lewis Hamilton and that was the reason the reason for that was that um, they thought that Alexander Albon was a threat to them um, to their position at that time so um, they had to pit um, Hamilton on lap 27 um, and they didn't want Hamilton to come out behind Albon so they use Bottas as a kind of buffer to keep Albon behind and then allow for a little window for Hamilton to pit and to come back out but you know pretty much since because they couldn't respond to Ferrari quick enough they were off the podium so you know they basically had a had a poor race to the checkered flag no podium for them I think you know I mean Lewis still keeps up his record of finishing and or scoring points at every race this year which has been you know phenomenal and given that he's still got a huge lead in the championship, it doesn't really do much to affect that. But, you know, Mercedes, because they're so critical of themselves, when they do make mistakes, I guess they're going to be having an inquiry into what happened this weekend. And, you know, good on them, because, you know, that's the hallmark of a great team where, you know, when they do have those off weekends amongst all this domination, that they still have to put in, like, a Corot, um, you know, coronial inquest is that what the term is you know i know i i saw that documentary on um the all blacks uh obviously the rugby world cup is on at the moment in japan but 
the documentary on Amazon um, about the All Blacks going into their training camps. Um, it was a couple of years ago, or last year, sorry, where they when they filmed it. But all the access that they had, um, the filmmakers, into um, how they train, you know, the coaches' behavior and everything towards the players, and you know, just how just how hard it is, you know, even though they, they win and win quite well sometimes, they there is still a lot for them to improve on, you know, and mistakes happen, they might lose, you know, they might lose a win here or there, um, and it's a big deal, so I guess in the quest for perfection, you know, even when you make mistakes, um, mistakes are good because it makes them work harder to make sure that um, they don't make them again. And I guess that's bad for the rest of the competition who want to um, see Mercedes stop winning. But, you know, when they've got such a great team around them, I guess it's it's not really going to happen. So, you know, fourth and fifth or whatever they scored, still a good result by any stretch, you know, you know, still a great result, but I guess, uh, yeah, the fact that they didn't win or get on the podium would have really irked them, so you expect them to come out firing in Russia. Um, alternative strategies that uh, were played by some of the midfield drivers, Antonio Giovinazzi, Pierre Gasly, uh, Lance Stroll, they were the only, I guess, that was the only threat to Ferrari potentially compromising um, their chargeback because they started the medium on the medium tyres. Those other guys, they were leading the race um, by the time the soft tyre runners had made their first pit stops. So if the Ferrari guys, Vettel and Leclerc, lost too much time behind Giovinazzi, who was actually leading the race and became, I think, the first driver for a team outside of the big three teams since 2015 to have actually led a race so that's pretty big for the uh, Italian rookie in the Alfa Romeo so um, but those guys came in duly pitted um, and uh, Gasly and Giovinazzi actually finished in the points so good good on those guys for that some close battles as well you know um, between those guys Nico Hulkenberg who came in ninth um, Lance Stroll, unfortunately, he and his teammate Sergio Perez not having a great weekend. Uh, Racing Point did come into the weekend with a lot of upgrades, their biggest upgrade of the season, and it didn't really, really pay dividends for them at all. So, you know, they'd be hoping next time out in Russia they do, um, do a bit better in regards to that. But, you know, for everyone else, Gasly, good points for him in the Toro Rosso, Giovinazzi as well, um, Perez, I guess we'll go to the late part of the race now and talk about the flurry of safety cars that we had in that final part of the race, first one triggered by a crash between Roman Grosjean and George Russell, that was lap 36, Russell basically having no room to go, blaming Grosjean, Grosjean blaming Russell, there was no penalty handed out, but you know, it didn't really help Grosjean's race either, finished outside the points again for Haas, same with Kevin Magnussen, but Russell, first DNF of the season, first non-finish of the season for Williams as well, I guess, you know, it was, you know, one thing that Williams could have (laughs) held their heads up high in a season that's been so terrible for them is the fact that they've finished every race so far. You know, they've had no reliability problems um, during the races and they've been staying out of trouble. But um, Russell, unfortunately, the victim of a Grosjean um, 
origin, uh, a Grosjean originated, or whatever. A Grosjean incident, okay? I shouldn't complicate things with using fancy words. It's not like I've got the thesaurus open right here, trying to make things um, sound more important than they are. Yeah, so that was Russell. And quick shout-out, too, to Robert Kubitzer as well. So, obviously, Kubitzer with his... um, limitations that he has with his um, right hand, I believe, his right arm, you know, they thought that this weekend was going to be tough for him, he thought it would have been tough for him, given that Singapore's such a draining circuit, endurance test, and he actually made it to the end of the race, so what a what a warrior, basically, you know, great, um, great result just to make it to the end of the race, because it was thought that he might just quarter of the way halfway through the race might have to retire but unfortunately or fortunately sorry I should say um that's what that wasn't the case unfortunately though it was announced um he did announce in the press conference on Thursday that he would not be continuing with Williams for 2020 so I guess the inevitable um what we expected, that fairy tale story, unfortunately, for Kubitzer coming to an end, the return. But if he doesn't, it's not likely he's going to stay in Formula One as a full time driver, but it is likely he could be on the radar for a few teams to be their simulator driver or test driver. Um, Haas has been one that's been talked about already, and um, Kubitzer himself, his plans possibly to go to DTM race for Audi. So. We wish him all the best with that and hope he has a a good end to the season as well. And quickly, while we're on Kubitzer and Williams, um, the point that they scored at the German Grand Prix as a result of Alfa Romeo's disqualification, while well, the appeal was heard um, during the week and dismissed. So Williams and Kubitzer get to hang on to that point. It won't be going back to Alfa Romeo, so good on them for that. Um, and it might may as well be the only point that they score this season too, so that's also a sad um, thing for them, that it came as a result of someone else being disqualified, so yeah. Um, second safety car came out because uh, Checo, Checo Perez had a um, mechanical failure, unfortunate for him, um, not a great weekend for Racing Point, as I said earlier, and then contact between Kimi Raikkonen and Danny Kvyat at Turn 1, um, bringing out the third safety car, so, you know, safety cars, breeding safety cars in Singapore, quite typical, um, they just took each other out at turn one, or more more like it was Kimi who took Kvyat out at turn one, so being a bit ambitious there, so that was those two guys' races ruined, um, Hamilton was able to catch Verstappen as a result, but basically ran out of laps to try and make a move, Verstappen, um, you know, He's a great defender, and I guess it was one getting one back up on Hamilton for Hungary, um, taking the win off him there. So Verstappen P3, solid return to the podium for Red Bull Honda, and also for Verstappen. Lando Norris P7 behind Albon, um, great race for him and McLaren, despite the fact that Science, Carlos Sainz was involved in a first lap incident which ruined his race, basically he was at the back for the whole time, but, you know, to score those points, more points than Renault did, because um, Daniel Ricciardo, his race was ruined from qualifying, basically, from being dis- for being disqualified for a power um, infringement, or whatever it was, because his MGUK um, spiked the limit 
and as a result he was disqualified even though the limit you know it was like only like 0.00000 something um up on the restriction that they have so he was pretty miffed about that the whole weekend um and as a result it just compromised his race for him so yeah it was only Hulkenberg who came in to finish in the points for Renault and Lando Norris in the McLaren got more points so good for him keeps McLaren ahead of Renault and um yeah Renault again scratching their heads <laughs> all right let's move it on then and um get into the Russian Grand Prix so straight away we're going from Singapore to Russia quick turnaround to a different type of circuit as well so more fast flowing bit of downforce involved too so you know you'd think that this is somewhere where Mercedes might um, find Ferrari as a challenge you know Mercedes have won every single race at Sochi since 2014 when um, the Russian Grand Prix came back onto the calendar and in fact I think I brought up the stat last year as well on the podcast is that previously in 1913 and 1914 when they had the Russian Grand Prix and in St. St. Petersburg, I believe, um, Mercedes as Benz Motorsport or whatever, um, won those races back then too, so, you know, they've been, they've pretty much won everything in Russia as far as Grand Prix are concerned, so, you know, it'll be something, I guess, if they're stopped this year, and I guess after, you know, what happened in Singapore, whatever review that they've done into this um what ha- whatever happened with their strategy and everything they're going to just come out stronger and I wouldn't be surprised if we see a Mercedes 1-2 finish what happened here last year well Valtteri Bottas crawled um resigned to being the wingman of course he was on pole position race to be sewn up by him but at that point in the year as well even though Lewis Hamilton was looking pretty strong um, in the championship. They still decided to just stuff Valtteri around and um, engineer a victory for Hamilton, even though it was kind of unnecessary. So, I guess, does the team owe him for that this year? I don't know whether it works that way, whether you owe to win or something like that. But Valtteri has been winless since Baku, since Azerbaijan earlier this year, and hasn't been really a threat. Um, on most weekends since, so it would be nice for him to, or it would be nice to see him um, make a bit of a comeback in this last part of the season, we don't want to just remember his two wins at the start of the year, and that's it, Um, he will be with Mercedes next year as we know, but you know, I guess he's got to justify his place there, you know, I know he's pretty much there playing the role of Lewis Hamilton's back gunner, but, you know, Hamilton at the moment, he's in a cushy place for the championship, we need to see Bottas flexing his muscles, you know, we want that Valtteri 2.0, the Mr. Robotas back out there, Um, he's got to have some porridge, I guess, for breakfast as well on Saturday and Sunday, um, to give him that extra energy that he needs to make an impact, but, you know, Ferrari, can they continue their momentum? And as I already mentioned at the top of the episode, that the last time that they won four races in a row was 2008. Um, That was also the last time they won three in a row. So perhaps history can repeat itself. And, you know, Leclerc, he'll be, of course, a bit filthy still after what happened with him and the strategy last weekend. So 
we might see him um, break off the shackles and try and get that one back as well, a third win for him. And when you look, I guess, um, as well, there was this interesting statistic that was brought up. So if the season was split down the middle into two separate seasons, um, going up to the German Grand Prix, so every race, um, Australian Grand Prix to the British Grand Prix, and then German Grand Prix to now so far, if the championship started at the German Grand Prix um, on points, Charles Leclerc would be leading because he's won, I guess, the most races and he's had the better the better points or whatever. I think that was it, not from the Belgian Grand Prix. So that's pretty impressive that this second half of the season they've been quite strong. You know, it's not the full season we want to see from Ferrari, of course, but, you know, it's, it's great. If it leads into next year, that's going to be important. And, you know, if they win this time out, of course, at a circuit that Mercedes has been so strong at, it's going to be a pretty big win for them too. So Red Bull as well, they've never been on the podium in Russia. Um, and I had to go back to 2014 and check every year um, whether they have been. And it's apart from Mercedes and Ferrari, it's only been Williams that have been on the podium um, back in 14 and 15, I believe not sure about 15 but I'm sort of certain yeah so because Bottas was strong here when he was in the Williams so um, that's justified when he brings that form over to Mercedes but yeah Red Bull never been on the podium in Russia but both their drivers are in form like Verstappen on the podium last time out in, um, in Singapore and Albon as well just slowly coming into it he's you know scoring those points he's doing a good job um, Ferrari, I guess, I guess the switch, I guess, didn't, you can't really see the impact of it right now, the switch for Albon over Gasly over the mid-season, because Ferrari have started winning races, you know, now they've won three races in a row, Red Bull would just have to, to win more, win more than Ferrari now to be able to overhaul them in the Constructors' Championship, because that was, I guess, the, the reasoning why that they dumped Gasly in the first place, so... If they can turn it around, good on them. But, you know, there are some Red Bull circuits coming up anyway, Suzuka being one of them that Red Bull in the past have been pretty strong at. Not in the hybrid era, though. They haven't won a race here. That's also been uh, a circuit dominated by Mercedes. But Mexico, they've been quite strong at. Um, of course, the last two years, um, they've won there. So, yeah, and can't believe it. We're already this close to the Mexican Grand Prix, which means... We're very close to the end of the season. It's good also, just quickly, um, last weekend, race time, the start for us was perfect. It was the normal 10 o'clock, what we've been used to for so long here on the east coast of Australia. And i got to say, that one hour difference makes a big difference because the next morning, or the next day on the Monday, um, I didn't feel as fatigued as I normally do doing a 10 past 11 start to a race and then finishing all the stuff that we need the you know the write-ups and all that the blogging which doesn't finish till like 1 o'clock so yeah you know it's a, it's a big difference and then this time as well for russia i think the race starts at 10 past 9 p.m for us here so even better you know great weekend coming up long weekend no work and then to cap it off we've got the russian grand prix and then of course the the rest of the um, 
what do you call it, the rest of the weekend, uh, sorry, the rest of the season, then with Russia and um, bloody Texas, they'll be like early morning, 6am starts, so I guess that's totally different as well, the way that's going to go, so yeah, I guess we're out of the European season now, no more 10 past 11 starts for another year, <laughs> just, as much as I love Formula 1, it is, it it was a bit of a stretch this year. I felt it last year and then this year it just got a little bit worse. But, you know, the things we do for love, hey? <laughs> All right, staying back on the Russian Grand Prix. So, Racing Point, Force India last year, they had a good race here. So, they'll be hoping that the upgrade that they had in Singapore, they'll see the um, fruits of that this time out in in Russia. At Sochi, Renault and McLaren last year struggled here. Um None of those guys scored points, so this year hopefully they should be a bit stronger given their respective packages are a lot better. Um, good opportunity for Renault to catch up if they can, otherwise if McLaren have another good weekend and score double points, which they haven't been able to do this year quite a lot. You know, there's always been one thing happen to one car when while the other car finishes in the points, you know, and more often than not it's been Lando Norris that's been in trouble, but then last time out in... Russia, sorry, Singapore, it was um, Science who came unstuck, so it'll be good to see um, both of those guys finish in the points, score a bit of a haul, and, you know, then time is running out for Renault to be able to overhaul them, so, and this is, you know, a team that isn't going to compromise their 2019 battle with Renault for the fourth in the Constructors' Championship for what they're hoping to achieve next year, so if McLaren have already turned their focus to 2020 and they're still scoring these results then it just means that they've been the better team this year and one up on the manufacturer Renault team who supplies them the engines so that'll be an interesting narrative I'm sure to follow for the rest of the season as it has been all year so far really enjoyed this revival for McLaren you know there's no getting your head you know blown up or whatever like you know big egos and that sort of thing, they've finally got the, you know, structures in place that they need to, they've finally got the right people in place, and these things take time, you know, it's, it still makes me sad today about how bad the Honda thing was, you know, it kind of, but in a way it needed to happen, I think, you know, these things happen for a reason, where it kind of exposed the flaws you know, not with Honda, inside McLaren, you know, it, it exposed, exposed the flaws inside the McLaren organization, the leadership structure and everything that they had at the time, and the big clear out, you know, Ron Dennis gone, and then a lot of other individuals that were part of that era for McLaren, you know, a ch change was necessary, and now we've got guys like, you know, of course, Zach Brown at the helm, even though he might not be, you know, running the team day to day, his input is quite critical. He was able to go out and get these people. He's been able to get out, go out and get these sponsors. There's been a lot of criticism about him. The fact that, you know, oh, you know, maybe he's not as committed to Formula One as he should be because he's trying to get the IndyCar project happening. Talking about going to Le Mans with the new regulations in 2021. Um, but, you know, that's his job now. Now that he's got Andreas Seidel in charge running the F1 team day to day, um, Zach Brown can focus on whatever he wants and given the fact that you know McLaren are working their way back up to the top 
two great drivers on hand as well. Great team, great engineering team. Um, great to see Andrea Stella promoted within that organisation too. James Key coming on board. You know, it's only going to get better. So I'm not getting big-headed or over-optimistic about this at all. It'll happen. Good things comes in threes, as it did for Ferrari. Three wins that they've had in a row. So McLaren, it's going to happen for them. Not in the not too distant future. Not too distant future as well. I'm not saying wins, but I'm saying just improving gradually. Um, and speaking of which, the IndyCar project that's going to be really exciting for next year to see the McLaren name on the IndyCar grid full time. Um, and I'm just I'm quickly going to talk about IndyCar anyway after this about the final race at Laguna Seca and the championship. But um, yeah, you know McLaren. They've been one of the better stories this year for Formula One and McLaren, they needed it, the organisation and I think the fans too. I think I've never met any more passionate fans, you know, apart from your Ferrari fans, of course, but any more passionate and dedicated fans than McLaren fans who have been through a rough patch, I guess, with, you know, 2013 onwards. It's been just terrible year after terrible year and they've stuck by them they've they've persisted and for them i guess you know this is going to be a real reward and just the way the team interacts with these fans as well was really really good to see on social media and trackside as well you know having been a part of it myself on a couple of occasions as well it's just really it's really good what they do so they've got a dedicated team a passionate team and as a result they've got really passionate fans so really love their work all together so in the end should be a straightforward strategy as well one single stop um not this is a circuit that you don't really get much high tired deg at so um you know we're just going to be expecting some fireworks on track between those top two teams and if red bull can get up amongst it that would be good too so that's Russia, hopefully a good way to end what should be a good weekend um, with some footy action on, of course, and um, yeah, just having the weekend off <laughs> will be exciting. So quickly, let's go hit the globe, um, talk about what's happening in the world, and of course it's going to be mainly the footy finals, but we had the IndyCar finale over the weekend, um, early Monday morning if you're over here in Australia and were able to watch it. Um, we had, what do you call it, uh, Colton Herter winning his second race of the season. Um, he's been a standout rookie this year behind Felix Rosenquist, you got to say, and um, starting from pole position too. And good to see that Herter gets to join the Andretti Autosport um, stable next year with his uh, Harding Steinbrenner outfit. So they basically merge under the Andretti Autosport banner for next year. So, you know, being surrounded by a strong team, I think, um, you know, it's going to just be better for him. And, you know, for, for Herta as well, young driver, still in his teens, he's already won two IndyCar races. So I think he's going to be a guy to look out for in the future. But in the championship battle, it was Joseph Newgarden who was able to get the points he needed to secure his second championship second IndyCar title in three years I get the feeling I don't know I'm not the biggest IndyCar fan I'm going to follow it a bit more next year because I've liked what I've seen this year but from the outside it just seems like he 
is a bit underrated. I'm probably wrong. I'm probably wrong. But I really like how he's been able to hang on to that championship lead all season. You know, he hasn't really dominated, you know, won a million races or whatever. I think he's just won three races this year. But it's been very consistent, you know, getting those points where he needs to. You know, he's got, he's part of one of the best teams, I think, in world motorsport with Team Penske. Um, and having some reliable teammates as well, like Will Power, really made a... Um, was an influence, I guess, in that final race to try and get keep his title rivals at bay and get as many points for Newgarden as he could. Of course, um, Simon Paginal, his teammate as well in championship contention, but it was very touch-and-go um, whether Simon would get there. It was more like if Newgarden retired that they'd pull all the eggs into the, the Paginal basket, but Simon himself has had a stellar season. You know, he dominated the month of May, he won the Grand Prix of Indy, and also the Indy 500, so for Penske altogether, it's been a fascinating season, it's been a really good season, and then when you combine their efforts here in Australia with supercars and DGR team Penske, you know, on their way to potentially winning um, another team's title, another driver's title with Scott McLaughlin as well, and I guess coming up the Bathurst 1000, that'll be an important um, trophy to add to their collection, whether it's with Scotty or with um, Fabian Coulthard, so that'll be great to see. But Newgarden, yeah, a guy that, you know, it'd be nice to have seen him go into F1 potentially, he's certainly got that all-round talent about him, you know, all this, this common perception that American drivers can only drive around in circles, you know, IndyCar is much more than that, and I've learned that as well. Um, as I've been following the sport in the short time that I have, and that's why next year I'm really keen to to properly follow a whole season. You know, I might just watch races on, you know, replay or whatever, but just follow it closely. You know, and um, see the grid up and down. You know, some great names in there: Felix Rosenquist, of course, um, European driver, come coming from Formula E. He's been quite strong. Big fan, of course, of Alexander Rossi, who I'm excited to see at the Bathurst 1000 this year. Um, the Penske guys, always willpower. Got to get behind the Aussie there. Scott Dixon, how many titles has he won? And he's still, he was in contention over the weekend too. So, you know, it's a it's a great category. And who knows, maybe I might talk more IndyCar next year, you know, include that as part of our segments as well. So, you know, just if, if you'd like to hear me talk about IndyCar a bit more, next year, give a bit more of a, um, analysis or whatever, then, yeah, just, um, drop a line in, you know, make a comment, um, send us a tweet or something, or on our Facebook page, that'd be really good, obviously, it wouldn't, um, come at the detriment of Formula One, you know, of course, that's the number one thing, but, you know, I wouldn't mind just branching out a little bit and, um, getting a bit more, um, exploring other, other things as well, so, that would be, great if you guys were keen to hear that um motor gp not much to really report on that given that it was a dominant race win for mark marquez and he um yeah that, that's pretty much it it was a dominant win for mark marquez in um aragon flyaway time now for those guys will be off to thailand next and then of course at the end of october coming to our shores to phillip island for the australian grand prix so that'll be very exciting Alright, so let's step away from motorsport now. So, AFL 
the big dance, they call it. Um, the grand final, that's on this weekend. Um, Richmond Tigers will be playing the Greater Western Sydney Giants. Yes. Unfortunately, the Collingwood Magpies did not make it. Um, it was a heartbreaking six-point loss. Um, heartbreaking in the sense I'm not a fan of them. I'm not a supporter of any AFL team, but I do enjoy watching the competition. Um, they left it... you got to say, they, to be honest, they left it all to do in the final quarter. I mean, they came into the final quarter with, what is it, a 32-point deficit. They did a great job to overhaul it and um, get within six points, only for a video review to um, cost them a goal that could have squared things up and, you know, only a point, you know, behind would have won it for them. So, you know, it was an elbow. One of the GW, GWS players, their elbow uh, knocked the ball as the goal went in. So that's an automatic um, no-no no goal, so, you know, that's technology for you, uh, some people will say it ruined it, you know, and, you know, technology's there to make the result a bit more fair, so, yeah, heartbreaking for Collingwood in that sense, but, you know, for Richmond, um, big, you know, going for a second premiership in three years, GWS, their first ever grand final, um, GWS a lot, you know, I guess gets that about them being, the AFL's pet project, you know, the AFL will do anything to have GWS succeed, obviously being the, mo the most newest team in the competition. Um, but yeah, you know, from a Victorian point of view, I guess, from Melbourne-based person point of view, <laughs> you'd be getting behind, you'd be getting behind Richmond to win this one. So um, yeah, good luck to them. A few injuries, I guess, for Richmond to be worried about. Um, whereas GWS, they'll be getting a few guys back. Um, Toby Green, of course, uh, the main one. Stephen Cornelio has ruled himself out, um, still injured. And um, Lockie Whitfield, I guess, waiting on him. <laughs> um, Lockie Whitfield waiting on him to um, see if he plays or not after um, he had his appendicitis, his appendix removed few weeks ago so you know there'll be a good turnaround for him but you know it's a fairy tale it's a fairy tale result for whoever you know there you look back at the whole season that they've had there's a whole narrative behind each team I'm sure in any code you know when they reach a grand final so it's always an event um, and it's just good to see that um, there is a Victorian team present there would have been anyway you know Geelong is a Victorian team too but, you know, it would have been better, I guess, to have two Melbourne-based teams, um, two old teams with, you know, the rusted-on supporters that they do um, in Collingwood and Richmond to make the grand final. But, alas, it was not meant to be. Over in NRL, prelim finals this weekend, um, but two big games, I guess, and I guess the teams that we expected to play in the grand final will be squaring off in the prelim, and that's the Sydney Roosters and the Melbourne Storm playing at the SCG going to be a big game storm absolutely thrashing Parramatta over the weekend um 30 something to nil and then of course the South Sydney Rabbitohs beating um Manly Seagulls um it was pretty contentious actually that game with the sin bidding of Jake Jabroyevich um I still love seeing those images of the coach Des Hasler <laughs> on the phone basically losing his marbles um but you know he's he had every right to be really peeved at that how many times have I said peeve 
I can't use the other term that I, I wanted to, I would like to use. You know, we're keeping it, um, keeping it all G-rated, PG-rated or whatever. So, yeah, manly, I guess, cruel in that sense. But, you know, the bunnies, you know, they're really, is a desperation, I guess, for them heading into this prelim, given that they're walking wounded, they've uh, scrapped themselves, scraped themselves through this far, missing key players still. Um, and Canberra, you know, they're looking so strong. And for them, could it be their first grand final in so long, you know, given the, the team that they have, they've had a strong team. And it's hard to believe that this is the first time that Canberra are playing a home prelim, you know, given all the success that they had in the late 80s, early 90s. It was the first time that they've had a home prelim. So, yeah, I guess my tip for that, um, it's it's really hard this week because Storm and Roosters, you'd think Roosters, but Storm in these big games, I mean, Roosters are missing Jared Wurrie Hargraves, who's pretty much their, the leader of their pack, um, leader of their forwards. Whether that's going to hurt them, while Storm have got you know Nelson Asafa Solomona, they've got full strength there in that department, the Bromwich brothers, and all that. So it's a real hard one to pick. I want to say Storm. I'm going to back to Storm. I know I'm going to lose, but I'll back to Storm on this occasion um, to upset Sydney. Also, would be Cooper Cronk's final game if um, the. Roosters lost, and how ironic would that be that he's coming up against his former team in Melbourne Storm and against Cameron Smith, um, friend turned foe. So um, there's a whole storyline in that. And then for the Raiders and Bunnies, I guess the Raiders at home, they've got to get the job done. I reckon they'll get the job done over the Bunnies. Um, Rabbitohs have done well to make it to the prelims this year, but um, given the state of their team, I don't think it's going to be possible Unless they surprise us. But yeah, it'll be, I reckon, Storm versus Raiders in the grand final for NRL. As far as the AFL is concerned, um, Richmond, big game. They can get the job done, even though GWS will get key players back. So I'm backing Richmond in the AFL and then Storm and Raiders in the NRL to beat their opposition in the prelims and make it into the grand final, which is next weekend. So yeah. Anyway, guys, that wraps things up for this week. There's going to be a lot to talk about next time, um, hopefully back in the usual Thursday, uh, summing up the Russian Grand Prix, any other fallout from Formula One over the weekend. We'll talk about the AFL Grand Final, NRL Grand Final. And yeah, that's um, that's pretty much it. So have a safe weekend, guys. If you got the long weekend off, enjoy. Um, don't do anything I wouldn't... <laughs> That's about it. Ciao.